I want to welcome everybody back to session two of our study we're calling Waymaker. In our in our last study, we kind of set the ground for, for what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're going to be looking at the intertestamental period. Um, and just like the song says, uh, even when we don't see it, God's still working. Yeah. And we're going to be looking at some of the ways that um, God was working during mm-hmm. those 400 years that we don't see mm-hmm. in the Bible. Um, so it, when you start out or finish off the Old Testament, and then you jump right over to the New Testament, there seems to be some pretty big differences uh, between the Jews at the end of the Old going into right. the New. So what are some of those differences? Well, there's... Uh, or how did that develop? Well, it developed... Uh, yeah, and that's kind of how that happened. The, the, they were, at the end of the Old, What they were a very beaten down nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were starting to regain a little foothold, but they had been through 70 years of Babylonian captivity and Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, that that last little part mm-hmm. of it there. They started to get rebuilt the temple, though it was not as um, uh, what it was, the grander right. it was, and had rebuilt the walls, and which was important in the ancient times uh, for a people. And and so there was some there, but it was a very they were beaten down. They were part of the Persian Empire mm-hmm. at that time, and at the opening of the New Testament, part of the Roman Empire. But there were there was a whole other empire in between there of Alexander the Great, which we all know about and have heard about, at least his name, that really influenced what was going on. They were surrounded and harassed by all their enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not looked at favorably at the end of the old, uh, at the beginning of the new. They were actually had a lot of freedom and were under the protection of the Roman the Roman government. They were sparsely populated. They were scattered. There's this uh, thing called the diaspora or diaspora. It's yeah. different things, meaning the dispersion of the Jews. They were they, they, they had their land there at one time, but then they were dispersed all over the world. It just sparsely populated. Um, but by the time the New Testament rolls around 400 years later, they they were densely populated uh, in in the cities throughout the whole empire, especially in Israel, in Egypt, and Asia Minor. Uh, the cities that they had, the especially Jerusalem, was mostly rubble. They're just trying to rebuild. And by the time the the New Testament rolls around, well built cities. They uh, poverty was rampant, but there was wealth. By the time they came along, the poverty was still there. There was different classes of people. Uh, then some were very, very wealthy. The people were insignificant uh, at the close of the old. But by the time of the New Testament opened up, they had they were favored by the government. They had uh, their temple tax. They were very, like I said, very, very wealthy. They had uh, negotiated trade and and, and business uh, mm-hmm. with uh, nations from all over the world. Um, there was no synagogue worship at the time, and a very temple worship was 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 hardly there. Uh, but they no synagogues were even present at the opening of the New Testament. Synagogues were present in most cities, a lot of cities, and in in larger cities there were two or three or four synagogues that were there. At the end of the Old Testament, there was no Sanhedrin. At the opening, which is a Jewish ruling council, and at the opening of the New Testament, a very strong, powerful Sanhedrin to the point that they could influence 
the Roman government to execute Jesus. And in some cities, you had smaller Sanhedrins in synagogues that it had a lot of authority and power in that city. And there was no Pharisees, Sadducees, no Jewish divisions in there. Uh, but here you had, in the opening of the New Testament, yeah, you had everywhere, everywhere mm-hmm. Pharisees, Sadducees. We'll get to that later on in this lesson. And there was no Feast of Dedication or feast, a Festival of Lights mm-hmm. or what we call today Hanukkah. But we see in the New Testament there was. In fact, Jesus even celebrated that. Uh, so there was a, a lot going on, big differences in the development of the nation uh, that happened. So what are some of those things uh, that <coughs> caused mm-hmm. um, this dramatic shift from where we are at the Old Testament to where we are in the New Testament? Right. So that's, and that's all that, that occurred in those 400 years mm-hmm. uh, that, that we're going to look at very briefly today. Um, now, I'll tell you, I, I like history. But all the ins and outs and nuances of history, I am no history teacher, and <laughs> there's a lot of really good resources that are out there uh, that that uh, that people can go to because it's a well-documented uh, thing right. here. But we're going to hit what what I see is about about three big developments that happened in those 400 years that that gave rise. Um, to, to the Jews in the New Testament, which, according to Galatians 4 that we read last time, was just the right time for Jesus to step into. Uh, the first one was a thing called Hellenism. Now, Hellenism, or the Hellenistic period of history, basically means to make something Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexander the Great, whose father was Philip of Macedon, or Macedonia, uh, Philip of Macedon, who's king of his own country, and uh, and his son Alexander the Great took over and then expanded that, and basically became the emperor of the whole world. And his uh, uh, Charles Pfeiffer, who's a old church uh, historian, um, uh, called him the apostle of Hellenism, which means he was the missionary of Hellenism. He was trained under Aristotle. And wanted to, and, and fell in love with the Greek culture, even though he was Macedonian. He wanted to make everybody Greek. That it was wonderful. Let's do it. So uh, they began. That was part of their thing. As they conquered the world, they made them Greek. Uh, no matter where you were from, you became Greek. And so you had to learn the Greek language. So it, it gave us a common language, or gave the, that time mm-hmm. a common language. No matter where you were in the empire of the then-known world, you could interact and speak with people. Uh, he also, Alexander the Great, though he was a not a moral man by any means, <laughs> and uh, was polytheistic. You know, we have the Greek pantheon, Zeus, and all that all that stuff that we all studied and read or were supposed to have read Edith Hamilton's <laughs> mythology, the Greek mythology stuff, and they had all these stories to explain things in the world. Even though he uh, subscribed to all that, he still valued the Jewish monotheistic religion of one God, Jehovah God, our God. Right. He valued that, valued their writings. So in this pluralistic society, he was like, oh, well, that's fine, that's great. Well, it, well I value you. You're good. I'd like to hear what you have to say. And so... He, the Jews under Alexander the Great enjoyed a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, they were allowed to thrive. Instead of surviving, they were thriving in the empire. Uh, the drawback, um, even though they were allowed to practice their religion 
and and do temple worship, um, they they begin to to sync a lot of that together. Uh, that was some of the things they be they became what was called Hellenistic Jews. You actually see this term in Acts. Uh, which led to one of the first uh, little divisions right. in there where there was the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews. There was a division because some of the Grecian Jews were being overlooked. And so Peter and them said, okay, let's appoint some deacons to take care of this. And they did. And, and so that's that little rift that was there. These Hellenistic or Grecian Jews would would incorporate, well, they would look at, at people who worshipped idols. It's like, well, you know, they're good people. You know, they're just not like us. And mm-hmm. maybe they would intermarry with the Greeks and they would they would invite in some immorality into it. And it really watered down the the uniqueness that the Jews had. But there were some benefits, right? But there were benefits. There were benefits of the freedom that they had. One was the synagogues. Right. Uh, because they had freedom, because they, they could practice their, their Judaism. And maybe and and because of this dispersion, the yes. diaspora, they were all over. They were able to congregate in cities and get together, and they formed places of worship. Started in homes, and then they were able and allowed to build, uh, build buildings to meet in. Kind of sounds like America here um, with uh, when we came along, and uh, and and have these places a synagogue and and practice Jewish life in a pagan culture. There was also um, Alexander put Jews in charge of uh, in places of authority in his city-states. One was in Alexandria, Egypt. Mm-hmm. And there was a large library there. And the Jews, he, he commissioned uh, the Jews at the Alexandria Library to translate their Old Testament scriptures that were written in Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic into Greek. And it's called the Septuagint. Right. And that is that was what was used throughout the world. It's what Jesus spoke from, quoted from. That's why sometimes you'll see a little differences in the way maybe something's written in Jeremiah and how that same passage is quoted in the New Testament because it's one's in Hebrew and one is translated from Greek, so a little nuance in the language. So that really benefited. So in the way that benefited was where did Paul go when he came into a city on his missionary journeys? He went to the synagogues. He went to the synagogues. So the synagogues, which were originally meant to keep Jewish life together, became launching points for the gospel. Mm-hmm. God was still working. And the common language, there's a reference in, in Acts um, that says that Moses has been preached throughout the whole, the whole empire. How? Through the Septuagint through the Greek translation of the Old Testament, people could understand and get the language uh, that was there. Um, Another benefit was Jewish pride or Jewish nationalism. You take, uh, at the end of the Old Testament, they were broken people. They were just broken down. And they began, you you get some of that in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a fun book to read uh, because they were, I mean, he just rebuilt those walls Mm -hmm. and you just, it's like a rally point there. Let's do it. Got a hammer in one hand, a sword in the other, and we're getting after it. Come on, let's just work, boys. You watch while work. It's a it's a it's a fun book. Um uh but that pride was not there. And it, it began to develop during this time. Because of their favorable position granted to the Jews by the Grecian government, they were able to survive and, and to, to begin re re establishing their identity as a different 
people than the rest of the world. They gained wealth. They enjoyed leadership. They could live their life as a Jew in the middle of a pagan world. The death of Alexander the Great, however, created a problem yeah, with that. A little bit of a shift. Yeah, we see a shift in that. Um, they uh, divided his kingdom, and in the region that we're looking at, it was divided between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Ptolemies were in the south there in Egypt, and, and, I, and we've got a, a map that, that we'll put up. And if, as you can see on the map, the Seleucid were in the north around the Fertile Crescent, Syria, Mesopotamian area, and the Ptolemies were in the Egypt, in the Egypt Arabian area, and their their territory bordered right there in Israel, mm -hmm. and so that became, of course, what do you have when you have two people that have their territory? One wants it, one does, you know that you got border wars going on, mm -hmm. and most of the land, most of the time, those uh, those wars and battles, skirmishes took place in Israel. The first half of the intertestament period it was under the Ptolemies, yeah. um, and they were they continued to be favorable towards towards the Jews, left them alone. They saw their value, kind of kind of the policy and position that Alexander the Great took. The second half, though, the Seleucids, their leaders were they were like how do you say uh, uh, they were very ramped up Hellenists. Yeah. Like if you're, they were pushy with their Hellenism, and if you were not a Greek, you were nothing, and you don't you don't need to be anything but Greek. So they kind of wrestled Israel, that land of Judea, away from the Ptolemies, and enforced some laws there and put some things in place that were not as favorable to the Greeks. Then one day. The Seleucid commander, he was Antiochus the Fourth, was uh, had a had a skirmish, a battle with the Ptolemies, and didn't go so well for him. And he said, "All right," he, he took his anger out basically on the Jews, mm -hmm. and he sent an army to Jerusalem, and they destroyed the walls of the city. They uh, they sacrificed, among other things, they sacrificed a pig on the altar, spread a pig's blood. So this is not just, hey, we don't like your religion, we don't like you, but we're going to defame your God. Yes. And they put a, uh, there was an old uh, Greek philosopher they sent down there to teach the people, and he said, the God you worship is Jupiter, hmm. and had a, an idol of Jupiter which history says was made in the likeness of Antiochus, um, placed in the temple of God. And, and of course, there was a lot of immorality that was involved in worship for those days. And it was just a, a bad time. And they made it illegal to circumcise their children. And anybody who did, it was they would kill. Uh, they did not allow temple worship to happen. They did not allow sacrifice to happen. The Jews could not practice their religion. They could. No, there was no Passover. There was. They had to sacrifice to idols um, if they wanted to live. One day, after about three, well, one day after uh, they went to a village outside of Jerusalem, and there was an old priest named uh, Matthias. Now, before I get to that. All these things are predicted in Daniel 11, and it's uh, uh, if you read this, kind of 
they don't put the names in. Uh, there's one commentary by uh, a guy named Jim McGuigan who actually took the Daniel 11 passage and then wrote in the historical names in there, so it made it pretty easy to understand how the flow of things go with that. It was really good. But uh, one day they went to this little little village, and this old priest, hmm. they were going to, they said, you need to sacrifice. And he said, I will not. And or sacrifice or die. I will not sacrifice to your gods. I only sacrifice to my God. And so a little, the story goes, a, a young servant came up to sacrifice for him so he didn't get killed. And Matthias pulled his sword out and killed that boy and killed the guy he was talking to and, and said, all who are zealous for the law, follow me. And they went to the hills and started this guerrilla warfare. So we finally started seeing some pushback. We see pushback, yes. They were like, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And they revolted against the Seleucid army. And the Seleucid army, it's just a bunch of you know, radicals out there. We'll just send an army down. They underestimate them. Mm-hmm. And after three years, they took Jerusalem back over. And they pushed the armies out, rededicated the temple, cleaned it up, cleansed it, rededicated the temple in an eight-day ceremony and called the Festival of Lights. And that is what we have Hanukkah. now, Hanukkah. Right. And we have that cool Adam Sandler song uh, <laughs> as a result of that. And and the legend is that you know they 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 had enough oil to burn for a night or two and then but it it burned for eight nights uh, miraculously. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we get the eight nights of Hanukkah uh, to today. But that was a, a point of national pride, almost like a like an independence day, another independence day for them. His son uh, continued the fight. Judas, Matthias was killed. Judas was killed. And then another son, and even subsequently, uh, they they were able to strike a truce with that. Also, during this time um, of resurgence of national pride, the Seleucids went away and the Romans came in. Mm-hmm. And the Jews began to enjoy a time of peace under the Romans. And that's whenever they're not so worried about their life, they got back to the law. And this is where we saw the Jewish divisions start to come out. And these are some divisions that that we start reading about in the New Testament, right? Exactly. We start to get the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and I'll let you touch on that. Yeah, so you get the Pharisees. uh, And the ones you hear about uh, a lot are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and the Zealots. You hear those. And there's another group called the Essenes. The Pharisees are probably the ones the most famous. They were the religious... Uh, the religious strict ones. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that said that, all right, we've gotten way too political, which was the Sadducees. They were very, um, very political. They were very connected in with the Roman government. They would be the Hellenist that said, culture's okay. Let's embrace it. It's okay. We got our money. We got our place. We're good. We're just rocking along here. And the Pharisees would say, Mm-mm-mm-mm. that's not enough. And what they did was they came along and they, they actually Pharisee means separated ones. And uh, they, they believed in a very strict adherence to the law. And and it wasn't so much the law of Moses that they liked, uh, that they were strict adherence to, but all the oral traditions with it, yes. the Mishnah and all the all the commentary. 
And so they would split hairs over things. Jesus would say, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. <laughs> and and use that hyperbole yeah. there, like, you do all this right here and you miss it all. Mm-hmm. But when they started, we would have liked them. We were like, okay, you don't need to be so political. Let's get back to what the law says. Sure. But they became strict legalists. Mm-hmm. The Sadducees, as we said, were very political. The high priest and his family were Sadducees. And they were very wealthy, very influential with the government. And But they didn't believe in the spiritual world. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels, whereas the Pharisees did. So they just kind of denied all that. So they became... Uh, unlikely partners mm-hmm. in this conspiracy against Jesus. Yes. The Pharisees were looking away to trick him and to, to accuse him of blasphemy and the Sadducees saw him as a threat to their political and social status and they were neither one of them liked him. So here, let's get together and figure out a way to make this happen and they did. But that's how God worked that structure uh, to to in the situation at the time for redemption to come. There was a group of uh, zealots, uh, and zealots are what they are. They're zealots. And uh, they were the ones that, and one of his Jesus' disciples was a zealot. They wanted to take things by force. They they were the ones that said, we're not going to compromise. We're, we're going to go a step further, and we're going to take it by force. Probably the first zealots, or the, the zealots, came out of that Maccabean revolt. That, okay, we're not going to sacrifice anything, and we're going to, ta- we're going to, we're going to take you on. Mm-hmm. There was a group called the Herodians in there, too. You don't hear much about them. They were this one family that kind of reigned, the, the Herod, Herod the Great. Right. You hear, see him a lot in Jesus' life from his birth. Actually, you see him all the way into um, the book of Acts, who his family, mm-hmm. his descendants. And they were more probably Sadducees uh, than anything, didn't really care. They were just kind of like, we just want our, want our money and our authority. <laughs> and then there was this group that's not mentioned, and they're called the Essenes. So what they do? They were a... Uh, a Jewish monastic group. So a group of monks. And basically they just said, we're going to, y'all are all crazy. We're going to separate ourselves from everybody. And they created these monasteries all throughout. Uh, one of the most famous ones was the Dead Sea uh, Monastery. And they spent a third of their day working, a third of their day sleeping, and a third of their day studying. And that meant that they were copying Scripture. And what we're very thankful for them for is that it was in that area at near where they had their monastery was we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, yep. and which was a huge archaeological find uh, for Christianity. So those three things, the rise of nationalism, the Jewish divisions and sects that, that came up with that, and, and Hellenism and the influence of, of the Greek uh, uh, culture and, and the, the, the favor that, that was shown that gave rise to the Septuagint synagogue, that gave us a lot of the structures that, that helped with the launching part of, launching of the gospel uh, throughout uh, the, the ancient world as it began. All right, so as we sort of wrap session two up here for um, this study, what, what are our take-home points? Well, I think we go back to the, to the lyrics. Of Waymaker, which is an awesome song. You are here, you're moving in our midst. You are here working in this place. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. 
you never stop. You never stop working. This is uh, gives us hope. And there are times when, as we said in the last session, we don't feel it. Mm-hmm. We don't see it. But when we can look and see the evidence that God is working, he's still working. It, it, it hits it hits home because that not only is just personal for us in our lives, but we all have people that we love, that we pray for, that maybe are not where they need to be in their relationship with the Lord. But you never know. You right. never know who that person is. You never know where that person will be, how God is working and who he's using and how he's using things. So it gives us hope that God is still God. And even though I don't understand some of his ways and they're mysterious, that I will follow him and trust him and all of that. And that's also it gives us a good context of understanding how things flow in the Bible with that. And as we understand more, we're drawn to it more and appreciate it more.